background before we begin. Brother Brad asked me about those uh, blessings for you all, and I was happy to do that. Uh, as I explained to him, during the school year, I don't have a whole lot of time to put in the hood, you know, whatever uh, requested or whatever I want to do that I haven't done before. So I said, I'll, if you don't mind, I'll do something that I've been working on for a while. So almost going on nearly three years ago, I started writing a book on the topic of spiritual gifts. And uh, I thought it would take about a year, especially with me stepping down from the pastoral role. Uh, little did I know, going on three years later, that uh, I'm still working on it. But, uh, it's very, very dear to me that I'm basically doing final uh, edits and doing some rewrites here and there. So uh, this is something that I've been invested in studying uh, for quite a number of months. And, it was kind of fresh on my mind, and uh, I thought I would share with you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to condense down several chapters at a time. So today we're going to cover what would be actually about three chapters in the book. And we'll do that every week, and we're not going to, you know, drag it out with all the details. Uh, because this is not, uh, this is a, you know, a lesson we've got so many minutes we can't. Uh, dig into every detail we'd be here for months and months perhaps so that's what we're going to do now I, I realize that perhaps some of you may have had a study on this recently I, I don't know maybe not uh, but somewhere along the line all of you have had some exposure to uh, the concept and uh, I'm guessing just because there is such an absolute uh, I don't know how to say it. The teaching on, on this topic is all over the map, uh, so to speak. So, you know, I just ask you to bear with me and uh, keep an open mind because you might hear some things that you've never heard before or a perspective that uh, maybe somebody across the table is burst in, but you, you know, it's new to you. And uh, I, I'll be the first to admit, you know, I'm not. Uh, last word on the subject. But if you look at the, the variation in interpretation and understanding of the, of the doctrine by those who do teach and write on the subject, uh, you'll soon realize nobody, nobody's the last word on the subject. It's, uh, it's uh, sometimes hard to find consensus. But what I've, uh, what I've attempted to do is look at the scripture and let that be the guide. And, and uh, do, a, do a lot of uh, commenting on the Greek and the grammar and syntax and all that that the pastors could use. But at the same time, I was trying to write it uh, so that you know anybody can pick it up and understand you know what's said. So uh, that's that's where we're at. So uh, the working title for the book is "Gifted to Serve." Uh, if you can just look at it, I think I, I may have put it on your sheet simply as understanding spiritual gifts. The first thing I want you to quickly adjust your thinking to is that spiritual gifts are nowhere specifically called a gift in the scripture. We all refer to them that way. It's because the primary word for 
the spiritual gift, is the word charismata in the Greek, which just simply means grace that's given uh, or received. Uh, yes, grace is a gift. We always refer to God's grace as a gift. Uh, Paul uh, says that in Ephesians 2.8. Uh, is a gift of God. And we, we understand what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. It's something we receive. So it is a gift. But there's another Greek word specifically for gift. So our definition, and we'll get to this a little later, our definition is going to stretch your mind a little bit, I think. Because it's not just some, some uh, ability that, that God has just placed in us that we can maximize as far as its use is concerned without any effort on our own. So with that preface, let's, uh, let's talk about finding purpose to begin with. Years ago, when I sat down my first semester in seminary, my first homiletics class, which was a class on preaching, uh, there was about 30 of us in class, I suppose. And uh, throughout the semester, each of us had to get up and preach to the class, short sermons and the big critique and all that. But early on in the semester, the professor said he wanted us to, and this was the assignment he gave us, that he wanted us to go home and uh, write a position paper on the concept of being called to the ministry. Well, I felt called to the ministry, and I think everybody else in the class did too. And I, I don't, don't question that. Some things you just know. The Holy Spirit is operative in us. And uh, there is a subjective part of anything when, uh, when we think about God's will and God's calling. But he asked us to find a scriptural basis to prove our calling. Now, I, I presented a paper that was just uh, basically desperation because I, I didn't know how to I didn't know how to describe it. I didn't know how to explain it. Uh, and he was wanting something concrete. Well, he took that assignment, and, and as, as my memory uh, of the class, uh, if it's correct, and I believe it is, nobody got it. Nobody got what he wanted on the paper. I think he probably knew that was going to happen. And what he did, when we said, well, what, what is it you're looking for? You know, what, what is it we should be able to put our finger on? He said, you should have found the basis for your calling in the concept of spiritual gifts. <coughs> now, honestly, I wasn't well taught before I went to seminary. I, I didn't grow up in a church where the Bible was taught very well had some uh, instruction in college through the campus Christian group, but that's about it. I never heard a script. I never heard of a spiritual gift before. Let alone know, know how it connected to my call. But from that day forward, I have thought and studied and taught what I could and just been very interested in understanding the subject, and the more I studied, the more I realized I didn't know enough. And I, didn't, I didn't understand this, I didn't understand that. But the, the same that was true for us is true for you. Your calling, now, we usually 
often, often, unfortunately, we use that concept, that terminology to refer to the call to being a pastor or the call to the ministry. But the truth of the matter is, every one of us has been called. If you understand the concept. And every one of us should find the basis for our calling in the spiritual gift or gifts God has supplied to us. Now, you may be sitting there saying, I have no idea what my spiritual gift is. Believe me, that is fine. You don't have to know at any particular point in time. I think once you understand what we're going to cover, it will help you to come to conclusions about where you fit into the body of Christ. But uh, the point of the matter is, you fit into the body of Christ whether you know it or not, and your gift is operative whether you've identified it or not. Now that, that kind of that might blow your mind a little bit. But it is, this, this, this doctrine, this teaching, this uh, reality of Scripture is very critical, crucial, important, I, I don't know how else to say it, vital to our life in the body of Christ. And every individual, every person that knows Christ has a unique place in the body. It's defined by their gift, number one, their experience, their, their particular uh, function that God been led to as far as ministry is concerned. All those things fit together. So purpose, the basis of our calling and purpose is found in the gifts of the Spirit. Let's take a look first of all at Romans chapter 12 and verse 7. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. He says, if prophecy, now that, that's a spiritual gift. I, I personally don't believe that gift is operative anymore, and we'll talk more about that later, but it was from Paul wrote. If prophecy, let, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. That's not how much faith you have, but in the original it's talking about the faith. Let us, let us use the gift we have received to do what the gift enables us to do according to what we understand about the faith, what the scripture teaches us. That's what he said. Ministry is another one. We're ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching. Ministry is a different gift than teaching. It's, it's, it's a, a, a word that just refers to the uh, capacity to serve others. Not talking about ministry with a capital E. So whatever your gift is, prophecy, you should prophesy. If it's ministry, you should serve. If it's teaching, you should teach. If it's exhorting, you should exhort. Uh, if it's giving, you should give. If it's leading, you should do it with diligence. If it's mercy, with cheerfulness. Now, don't worry about what all those gifts are at the moment. We will, we will get into that next week. At least we get into it. But I want to direct your, your attention to this one, teaching, because that's what my professor was 
dealing with, and he felt like we shouldn't have understood that we were called to be teachers of the word. And the, the reality of scripture should have been based on the fact that we had the gift to teach. Now, move on to 1 Timothy 3, 1 and 2. Now, you'll recognize probably that 1 Timothy 3 has to do with the qualifications of a pastor or the qualifications of an elder. Same qualifications. The pastor refers to an elder's shepherding. That's what pastor means. The term elder itself refers to uh, experience and maturity. And there's another word used in scripture which we find right here. It's the word bishop. That's a third word in the New Testament. It's also used for the same office. Elder, pastor, bishop. Bishop means overseer. So, Paul says to Timothy, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, in other words, he's saying, if somebody wants to do it, if somebody wants to be involved in that ministry, now look, that's not just saying anybody can just up and decide, I think I'll be a pastor, without any... Uh, real leading from God. However, it does indicate to us that gifts produce desire. The Holy Spirit who gives us a gift also leads us and directs us in the decisions we make in life. And if we're in right relationship to God and the Spirit, those two things will come together. So, someone who has the gift of teaching should desire to teach, and perhaps desire the office of being a bishop, pastor, elder. But the church doesn't know. The church may not know whether the person who desires the office is desiring so out of a, a, a gift that God has given him and a, and a compulsion by the Holy Spirit to do it, or not. So it has to be proven. So Paul says, if someone says they have the desire, they believe this is what God's leading them to do, then they also need to be able to meet these qualifications to hold the office. And one of the qualifications is to be able to teach. Because the teaching gift determines the ability to function in the office. Make sense? I've run into people who will tell you, now you probably run into people too, will say, that just means they're teachable. That's not what it says. We all need to be teachable. But the old King James is apt to teach. The word in the original in the Greek just means able. It's not teachability, it's ability. So, with that in mind, let's go to Oh, I have another slide in here. Maybe I'll do later. Let me see. <clears throat>
to Timothy in these epistles, he tells Timothy to stir up the gift that is in him. So Paul is saying you can have the gift, but you don't necessarily know how to use it well just because you have it. There's a personal responsibility to develop it. So I'll throw that in there. <clears throat> Let's go back to uh, go over to 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 22. This is a lot. But I'm just expanding on the fact that the same process is true no matter what gift you have. Because if you have the gift of exhortation, which means you have the ability to give people perspective, it's really the gift of counseling. You understand what the word means. Let's say you have that gift, but you don't really understand it or know it. You know that you have it. You haven't really thought about it, but people tend to people tend to come to you and ask advice. Or they, they come to you and, and you're a person they just want to talk to when they're discouraged. <coughs> Other people sometimes sense who can do what before the person realizes it's, it's a gift that is making that happen. But whatever your gift is, we all have a gift. And so this is important to understand. For the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized in one body. Now that's, that's not a second baptism. That's not something baptismal spirit that happens way after you're saved. That's talking about what happens when you're saved. But that's a that's a doctrine for another day. Okay. For um, by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether the slaves or free, and have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, "Because I'm not the hand, I am not the body," it is therefore, is it therefore not the body? And if the ear should say, "Because I'm not the eye, I am not the body," is it? There's differences. What the pastor does on Sunday morning is deemed to be hugely important, and I'm not saying it's not. But what somebody with a different gift that is not not used in the public sense or in the uh, the uh, you know, on an occasion like you know everybody benefits at once, but individually doesn't mean that that isn't also an equally important gift. It is. If the whole body were nine, so forth, we, we probably read that and we understand. But where we want to get to is this. But now, and now indeed there are many members, yet one body. I mean, I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Every body and every gift is important, necessary, critical, crucial, and vital too. So, with that basis in mind, that's chapter one, by the way. Uh, I've reduced it down a little bit, obviously. But we need to find our purpose. You see, that's what, that's what this whole matter of spiritual gifts is about. Once you come to a point where you realize what your gift is, not that you haven't been using it, but you come to a point where you realize it, 
It gives you a sense of purpose and place and motivation that you've never had before, a clarity. It helps shape the decisions you make about what ministry I should be involved in or whether I should do this or that. It, it, everything crystallizes in your mind when you get to that point. Unfortunately, there's a lot of confusion, and I mentioned this already, there's a lot of confusion on the subject of spiritual gifts. <clears throat> there are two perspectives, and I'm just, I'm, I'm boiling this down into two overall basic differences of interpretation. There are variations under each one. I'm not going to get into all those details necessarily, but there's a first uh, viewpoint that's called the continuation view, or the continuationist position. This is also the charismatic view. By the way, charismatic comes from charismata, spiritual gift. And they emphasize spiritual gifts, and, I, and that's great. I don't know if they have it right, but at least they focus on it, and that's good. Uh, but their position is that all the gifts, all of them, continue till the end of the age. You say, well, isn't that a given? No, because this other view says something different. So we'll get to that in a second. One of the problems with this view, well, problem number one, the Bible teaches that some gifts cease. Oh, some gifts. That shouldn't be past in. Sorry about that. Um, the Bible teaches that some gifts, I could probably what it is left out the word have. The Bible teaches that some gifts have ceased. So uh, we're going to look at that in just a moment. The other problem with it is, is the modern manifestation of the gifts of prophecy, tongues, and healing, and such, are not in line with their biblical description. Quick example. Chapter 2 of the book of Acts. The apostles speak. People that are there hear in their own language. But it's a language. They know exactly what the apostles are saying. The modern day manifestation, uh, quotes around that, you know, the, the modern day concept of tongues is people speak audibly, but nobody can understand what they're saying. In fact, they say it's a language that they speak to God. I suppose God could understand any language, so. I understand what you're saying, but the very foundational example you find in Scripture is something entirely different. So there's two problems then with this view. Now let's, let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 13.8, this key verse, we'll keep coming back to it. First of all, he says, love never fails. That's because he's just finished that whole section in 1 Corinthians 13, where he says, he tells us what love is. Love is, you know, this, love is this, love is this. And he finishes that up by saying, love never fails. Love doesn't go away. Uh, love in the body of Christ doesn't cease. By the way, it's not a, it's not a gift either. It's, it's a responsibility. But it, it, it doesn't end. It doesn't go away. It's permanent. But, he says, in contrast, there are prophecies. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. 
Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Even without understanding the nuances of what he just said here, and it is deep, okay? There's all kinds of things here that you don't pick up in the English. For example, the verb here in reference to tongues is a middle voice verb in the Greek. It means they're going to cease in and of themselves. That's because the purpose of tongues, demonstrated in Acts 2, by the way, and what Paul tells us about it in 1 Corinthians 14, it has a, had a purpose, and when the purpose was fulfilled, the gift went away in and of itself because there's no more need for it. The other two, though, prophecies and knowledge, they're not middle voice. They're passive. Something else makes them go away. There's just some of the nuances in the language that you have to get a hold of to fully understand this. And we will come back to this, okay? Don't, don't feel like you've got a grasp all I just said there. What I want you to see at this point is simple, simply this. Something makes some of these things go away. They don't last. They're not going to be around until Christ returns. That, that anybody can see that when you look at this. Now, it says whether there are prophecies, whether there is knowledge. We know tongues is mentioned in the previous chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, as is prophecy and as is what it's called in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 around verse 7, the word of knowledge. But he's, all ta he's talked about these before and he's called them Charismata, and so on. So, we know he's talking about gifts here. They're not permanent. <coughs> so, let's move on to the second viewpoint, the second major viewpoint, and that is what we call the cessation view. The first one was the continuation view. This is the cessation view. This view says that some gifts were temporary. We just saw three of them First 1 Corinthians 13a. Now there are some problems with this view. The problem is not the interpretation. The problem is twofold. Among the group of people, scholars, Bible teachers that are cessationists, Unfortunately, a lot of them just ignore the topic. Now, here's an example. I was in seminary for five years. I took a three-year degree, realized I still didn't know enough to be a pastor. I took, I took two more years, I got two degrees. Uh, it, all, it all took me five years. For that length of time, in five years of seminary, I never once heard another professor I never once heard another sermon, and we had chapel all the time, speakers for long. I never heard any other person in the next five years ever mention spiritual gifts. 
I was intrigued by it from what my professor said my first year, and I kept trying to learn, and I was picking up books and things and reading them. And then, well, they weren't all right, and it was confusing. But the people that said they went away didn't say anything alone. They acted like they were unimportant. I think the, the tendency is to ignore them because of the charismatic extremes. They don't want to be associated with that, so they just veered away from it. The other, the other problem with cessationists is there's a lack of consensus about which gifts are temporary. Most all will, will admit or believe that tongues was, but they don't all agree about knowledge and uh, prophecy. Which is unfortunate. So that's why there's such a, uh, an array of things out there that gets confused. I'm going to add verses 9 and 10 to this. Prophecies, tongues, knowledge, they'll all fail. By the way, when you see this in English, fail, cease, be done away, vanish away. It looks like three different verbs, it's only two. The verb fail, the same verb vanish away. Well, I don't know why they translated it really. The translation, I think I would have done it the same, but, but the one that's different is here. Uh, with tongues, cease, that's the middle voices. Paul adds to this an explanation. He says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. When Paul was alive, the gifts of prophecy and knowledge still were there. It was to supply what was needed to be known. It was to there to supply revelation from God because they didn't have a New Testament. I mean, they may have bits and pieces as they moved along, but they didn't have a complete New Testament. In the beginning, they didn't have any. Just had the Old Testament. So that was very critical. That's what he's talking about. He said, you know, we know in part. We, know, we got some people prophesying. We got some people, uh, you know, delivering revelation to us and knowledge, but we don't have it all. Pretty simple. He says, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. So something is coming that will bring complete knowledge. We don't need to have prophets and people with the gift of knowledge to supply what was only part or limited knowledge any longer. And when the perfect comes, it'll bring an end to those gifts. Here's where some of the cessationists get all messed up. What is it when he means? What is it he means by that which is perfect? It's in a neuter gender, so it's not Jesus Christ when he comes back. Now, granted, some will say, no, it's not Jesus. It's not, that's not the point. The point is the event of his coming back. That could be neuter, and I'll grant you that. But it's kind of it's kind of don't you think it's kind of already intuitive to understand when Jesus comes back, we're going to have all the knowledge we need? Why would he have to say that? It doesn't make any sense to even mention that, right? If the gifts were going to continue when he came back, why tell us they were going to end when he came back? Because when he comes back, everything's complete then. But this, this trips up some cessationists and they want to 
They want to pull out prophecies and knowledge and say, well, they, they continue to Jesus comes back, but tongues does not. Well, that's, that's legitimate to say tongues does not, but they, they fail to get the, the rest of the equation. We'll talk more about this later, too. We're just, we're just introducing the subject. So let's move on to, this is chapter 3 of the book called Spiritual Gifts 101, The Basics. Now, in years past, in fact, most every time you've ever vacationed, the whole family, grandchildren and all, somebody, I'm not always sure who, but somebody, always feels it necessary to bring along a 500-piece puzzle. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong, I love working puzzles for about five minutes. <laughs> and after that, it just seems like a terrible waste of my time. <laughs> some of you may love to do it, you know, just, you know, I know some of you are like, I, I don't. And, and some of my family do. And it'll lay there for days. And you, you know, the idea is to complete it before the week's up. It usually is completed, but not because of me. <laughs> I put in a piece here and there, but that's about all I know. Five minutes of time, I'm done. I'm sorry, somewhere else. How do you go about solving a puzzle that has 500 pieces and so many of them look alike? How do you? We all understand, right? I mean, you start with the flat edges to get the borders, and then you work in, but up and down, right? This is how we need to begin to study the topic of spiritual gifts. Let's put some borders in place, basic principles, if you will, and then we can fill in a lot of the details that are probably already swirling around in your mind. So border number one is what I call the determination of spiritual gifts. <clears throat> who determines who gets what gift? We don't. Unfortunately, uh, I think a lot of people have taken a survey or what do you call it, uh, inventory uh, or answer questions and, and uh, I've done it. I, I even make one up myself for a congregation years ago. I don't use it anymore, uh, unless I know somebody's got the maturity to be honest, because most people, when you take those kind of um, personalities, people tend to answer the what they want to do, not what necessarily they're good at, you know? I once uh, gave this to some people who were discussing this, and I gave the, the one I had to them, and, I still remember this young man who decided he had seven gifts. <laughs> and honestly, uh, I said that's possible, but I'd rather doubt anybody's had that many, except maybe when you go back to the apostles. You know? uh, but we don't determine our desires. We can, we can only ask ourselves, what has God demonstrated to us through opportunities and experience that we, we see his blessing upon. See? And it's hard to do just in a, a survey or a, you know, an inventory. It's the Holy Spirit that distributes spiritual gifts as He chooses. We don't have any say in it. 
It's a sovereign act of God. But one and the same Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So, the Spirit determines. The Holy Spirit's distribution rules. By this is just a comment in my outline here. The Holy Spirit's distribution rules out the common charismatic assumption that everyone should speak in tongues. Right? Even in Paul's day, even in the book of Acts, even in the early church, not everybody spoke in tongues. But that's a common assumption among many of our charismatic brethren. Now, by the way, we just make this clear. Because sometimes people think, well, you just, you know, you're saying the charismatic people or, you know, you those who follow this view or this or that or the other. They're brethren. I, I've met many of them. I know many of them. They love God. They're, they, they're great Christians, they uh, they believe the Bible's the word of God. They believe it just like we do. Just interpret it differently. Okay? So, you know, we're, we're not here picking on somebody who has a different viewpoint. We just recognize there are different viewpoints in Christianity. I'm giving you my viewpoint, and I'm trying to give you the biblical basis for it. But in the end, that's up to you to you know, come to where you stand on the subject. Okay. Another side, another border piece to our puzzle, the timing of spiritual gifts. Every believer has been given at least one spiritual gift. By timing, I mean, when do, when do we receive a gift? We receive a gift the moment we place faith in Jesus Christ. So how do you know that? 1 Corinthians 12, 7 tells us. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The only way each and every member of the body of Christ could have a gift would be if they each received it the moment they placed their faith in Christ. Think about that. If it wasn't at the moment they became a believer, then at any time... There would be some that didn't have a gift and some that did, and that would mean this verse is wrong. But this verse can't be wrong, it's the word of God. So that, that demonstrates the timing. The conclusion then is this, every believer receives spiritual gifts when they receive Christ. Let's move on to border number three which is what I call the definition of a spiritual gift. So I'm going to give you a definition. It's my definition. Other people define it differently. It's the way I see it. But I will grant to you, it's hard to define. It's hard to put in words. You, I mean, I just wrote 40,000 words. <laughs> in this book, trying to define it, okay? When you really get down to all the intricacies. So. <clears throat> I define it this way. A spiritual gift is a spirit-given capacity to function effectively 
in a particular area of ministry. It's not a full-blown, on-the-spot, immediate ability. People don't come to know Christ and the next day they're preaching the Word, okay? People don't come to know Christ one day and the next day they know how to, you know, encourage and exhort other people. It's a capacity. It's a grace. Charismata means a grace. Yes, it's a gift because we didn't deserve it. it, it and that's what grace is. But that word is defined various ways. Uh, it's called the workings of the Spirit in one verse. It's called the manifestation of the Spirit in another verse. It's called the charismata in some verses. It's... Uh, it's really hard to nail it down in concrete terms. Right? This is the best I can do. It's a capacity to function effectively in a particular area of ministry. Now, here's the verses I was looking for earlier. This is what Paul said to Timothy. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. First thing is rule out. He didn't get, Paul not say he got the gift by the laying on of hands. That was the occasion it was recognized by the church. And we don't have time left in class, and I'm not prepared to try to delve into the Greek here, but it's very clear in the Greek. It's talking about an occasion that's associated with the gift. It is not saying that's the source. The laying on of hands is not the agent. We already know that's the Holy Spirit. But Timothy's gift was recognized by those other elders who determined he had the gift of teaching, and they, they did that symbolic representational thing of laying their hands on him and praying for him. And we, we I don't know, in East of Baptist circles that I'm familiar with, I believe it's called ordination. You all use that terminology. <laughs> And Paul says, that gift which was recognized and, and propelled you into the position, don't neglect it! Why would you say that if it was a, some kind of supernatural ability? He just... See, he, he's telling Timothy, if you neglect it, it's useless. If you neglect it, it's, it's like, you know, use it or lose it, so to speak. Then later in 2 Timothy 1.6, he says, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the leg of hand. Or again, which was recognized by the leg of hand. It's like a fire, it's like a campfire that burns down and there's just some hot coals left on the bottom and you, you just throw another, you know, throw some more kindling on it or another log on it and you punch it and you stir it up. The oxygen that's called, that, that, that comes into that stirring, the act, heats up the embers, reignites the fire. Stir up, you always have to keep your gifts stirred up. That's why I, I call it a capacity. It's not something you can take for granted. It's not something that you can say, well, I don't need to go to school. I've heard people say this, believe me, back in the mountains where I come from. They called seminary, seminary the cemetery. <laughs> you, know, you, go, you go to the cemetery, you're going to come out dead. You know, you're going to lose all your 
spirituality and all that, you know, you're just going to have facts in your head. We need to learn. And we need to keep learning. And we need to know how to use our gifts. We need to learn from others. We need to learn from all we can read. We need to learn from the scripture. Always, always cultivating your gift. It's a capacity. One last border, the purpose, the overall purpose of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are given to individual members of the body for the benefit of others. Put verses here, or as many members... For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Our gifts weren't given for us. The gift you have, the capacity you have, has to be given away. It has to be exercised in the body to have value. Here again is where those who hold the tongues continue throughout the age and that everybody needs to speak in tongues and nobody else can understand what it means what, what you're saying, but God understands. This just went out the window now. As far as I'm concerned. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace, grace gift, charismatic, manifold grace of God, as 1 Peter 4 10. <laughs> These are the basics. Everything else we build around this. You have this in place, everything else starts to fall in place. I think we're about out of time, so. I have, uh, I have covered it all that I was intended to cover, but I did intend to cover it a little bit. Yeah, one more slide. Yeah, it? go back, slide. just one back to that slide. previous slide. Edification. Oh, edification. 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 Yeah. This, is, this is just an expansion on the benefit of others. The overall function of gifts within the body is edification, yeah. building other people up. Yeah. And uh, you can look those verses up. Ephesians 4, 7, 11, 12, key verses on the fact that members of the body are there to edify one another. Thank you for bringing my attention to that. I want to finish the thought we're out of time to go any further. I intended to have more time for questions, but uh, we'll take one or two quick ones if there's something um, really not clear to you. I've been on both sides of the fence for a long time. The only caution I had when you started addressing spiritual gifts is a lot of the stuff we discussed today attempts to put a noose around the Holy Spirit. And I would just say it's all based off of what's more development. And my interpretation of that is fitness comes when we are recovering our Christ and we join him in the sky. And then we're in hell. Up to that point, we don't have the whole picture. But the Holy Spirit provides each individual with gifts and how to use those gifts for closely guard the Holy Spirit. So any of the gifts as far as I'm concerned are valid because I don't have the authority even by the discussion to say that they aren't. 
I've seen it work both ways. But the Holy Spirit is going to allow you through your own maturity in the Holy Spirit and allow you to communicate with Him. He'll reveal some of those gifts to you. And if, as long as you rely on Him, then those gifts will provide benefit to others. But I don't try to put a new term. That's my only caution is we don't understand, we don't have all the knowledge of what the Holy Spirit is capable of doing. I think he's got unlimited power to do all kinds of things. I agree with that. And so that's just my simple I, I, agree, I agree with what you're saying. Don't put a new on the Holy Spirit for this reason. We haven't gotten to it yet in our study. But when you go past 1 Corinthians 13, 8, you look, look at what he says in chapter, or in verses 9 and 10, and then he comes in chapter, or verses 11 and 12, he gets past this part about the temporary nature of some, and he comes back to the fact that, he, that we're not going to fully know everything until Christ comes back. That, that's a true statement. We're not going to... Uh, have that capacity. He's talking about maturity in the body. And there were some gifts that were designed to operate in the infancy of the church. That's my point. But there is, yeah, that is, I'm glad you said that. We just haven't gotten to it, but it's a good point to make at this point in time. Even today, where we're at in Christian history, we don't have all God's power. We're never going to have all that. But isn't the completeness that we talk about Within the New Testament and the Old Testament, within the Bible we got, we have all the knowledge we need at this juncture to be mature functioning Christians and be a, for the church to be a mature functioning body. Doesn't mean we know everything. I just want to say thank you for this. This is one of the best. I've, 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 I've heard a lot of teachings on this, but you're very clear and concise. And I am Pentecostal, just so you all know. And um, I was raised that way, but I have seen miracles. And so you've seen that aspect of it, where the Holy Spirit has moved and you have tangibly felt it. It's well, just a different. Yeah, one of the gifts is miracles. Yes. We just haven't we haven't covered that. So no, what I'm saying is just thank you for this because you are very spot on. And now I really want to delve into my spiritual gift because I haven't really I want that to come to life and I hope you have more tests or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm gonna do that. But I do have when we finish up, we're gonna really delve into that. How do we understand what our gift is? And there's some scripture that really bears on that. So we're going to get there. The other thing I want to mention with the comment, uh, I think there's a difference between the gift of tongues, the gift of miracles, and the fact that if God wants to have somebody talk to somebody in a language because there's no other way to communicate, God can do that as a miracle. Doesn't mean the person has the regular ability to do it. Uh, healing. God heals. I've, I've, I've seen God do, I don't know, maybe seen it, but I've heard testimonies of people that I trust. One friend of mine who just about a year ago, um, doctors had given up on his condition. And there was multiple uh, verifications that he had it. And he prayed about it. In fact, he couldn't eat. He couldn't eat solitude. It's an 
condition of his throat. He prayed about it, put it in, in God's hands, and uh, he felt peace about it. He had told his wife, fix me, so fix my favorite meal. She's like, she did, and he ate it. And he'd been fine ever since. You can't, you know, we don't deny those miraculous things. So, uh, you know, there's, there's various perspectives on a lot of this. And we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not all in really every aspect. Like I said, I'm, I'm presenting what I'm, where I'm at on it, but uh, I'm not one of those who say, well, God, no, that isn't a miracle, you know, because if God does miracles. Well, that is, because somebody wasn't healed, that was, you know, because God does still heal. And I've even heard missionaries tell about instances where God miraculously enabled them to speak in a language they didn't know. I've heard testimonies. I don't remember the name. I wish I had. I heard one specific testimony, very dynamic. But I just don't, I don't think that's a gift that that missionary had. He could just exercise that will. But it was, I could do that. God's God. He can do what he wants to do. I, I kind of think that in, in chapter 12, he's addressing gifts and giving instruction. But then when he moves to chapter 13, his subject is love. And so in my mind, I mean, he's not going to name all of the gifts, but all of the gifts are going to go away eventually. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, but what remains is the fruit of the Spirit. And I think he's emphasizing that that's where our, our focus ought to be, is on the fruit of the Spirit rather than on the gifts of the Spirit. And that's exactly the problem they had. That was actually the problem in the, in the church in Corinth. They were maximizing, they were glorifying, they were uh, right. all off base, focusing on gifts, and he's bringing them back. And that's why, you know, don't, don't stress out about, I don't know what my gift is. Just. Do what you know you should do. In fact, if all of us did what the scripture said, <laughs> we'd be exercising our gifts somewhere. And eventually that might become clear to us. But in Corinth, they had gifts. They weren't using them right. And they were forgetting about the foundational uh, part of that, which is love. They're not given to, for our good.